Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. Long time no talk. How's your summer been going this last few weeks? Um, Well, I have not yet had any vacation at all, so I'm really looking forward to the day that this episode comes out will be my first day of vacation, except not really, because I'll have to get the episode out. Oh, (laughs) Well, cheers to that. I I had a bit of a vacation. I went to Toronto, um, not for vacation. And then uh, when my, my week stay was up, I decided to extend it another week and have vacation because I was so happy to be home. Oh, yeah. So, so happy to be home. It was so fucking great. And you know what I learned? No. It is um, not easy to get into Canada right now for COVID, right? Like there's all of these uh, things that you have to, to do to um prepare and once you get to Canada um there's additional tests you have to take and a meeting with a nurse and yeah there was there was protocols and then going to the states was like the easiest thing in the world <laughs> it was very oh uh jarring so that's what i learned um in my travels that's so fascinating. I bet if you were to coming to Canada to repair, like, I don't know, a photocopier or something, you probably would have gotten an exemption. I mean, I was on an exemption list because I'm fully vaccinated. Um, but even uh, with yes. being uh, exempt from certain things, there, it's still, you know, uh, I think that there is uh, some rigor in uh, tracing, you know, who's coming in when and uh and then follow up, uh, whereas that doesn't seem to be happening in the United States. And I can't really tell why, but I'm going to try to figure that out. It looks like they've left a lot of things up to the states. I'm right. not sure. It's very strange, the federalism issues in the U.S. But I was surprised uh, by that and just thought I'd mention. Well, that's really um, excellent to hear. And I'm glad that you made it into Canada with no problems and got out of Canada with no problems and had a wonderful time. And I hope all of our listeners are having, mm-hmm. I mean, I hope you've had some vacation. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you if you haven't yet, because I'm, I'm, I'm really, really ready for it. I, our whole family got a, a stomach virus that was really slow to move through all of us. And so we have been pre- pretty much dealing with the stomach virus for three weeks. Oh, no. And I'm tired of it. Yeah. I'm so tired of it. But I mean, I, you know, I, I shouldn't complain too, too much because um, the last night of vomit was, I think, you know, a couple of nights ago. So it looks like we're Ugh. on the other side of that. OK, well, Nora, um, you, may, you may be on the other side of that, but there is um, something perhaps just as unpleasant coming up in your future. In our future, in our collective future. <laughs> is that right? I mean, today has been such a, a wild day for news, um, but I can only guess what you're going to mention. Mm-hmm. Is it uh, Afghanistan? No, no, that's that's not oh. something new coming up in your future. That is something old that um, has been uh terrorizing people for uh for decades um so nope not afghanistan uh okay um well i want to mention i hope folks are paying attention to what's going on there and um, this episode is not about canada's involvement uh in afghanistan but 
um, you know, all we we have our hands all over what's happening, and that has been mm-hmm. really preoccupying me today. But I, I suspect you're talking about the federal election. I am indeed talking about the federal election. And before we get into it, I am sure we have a lot of people to thank uh, from uh, for supporting us during these three weeks that we have been off the air. Yes, we sure do. So we've been off, as everybody knows, and we've got a whole bunch of people to thank. So before this episode gets started, we have to say thank you so much to Michaelis and Natalie, Jamie, Nanette, Kari, Yelia, Ian, Amelia, David Menzies' totally not stupid hockey stick microphone. Oh, that's weird. Charlie. (laughs) Yeah. Jessica, Lawrence, Branimir, Rebecca. Hugo, Kim, Hattie, Sarah, Natalie, L.S., Kyle, Muhammad, June, Dave, Robin, Spencer, Mike, and Heather. Wow. Thank you so much to all of you. Thanks to the listeners for sticking that out. And remember, if you want an ad-free feed of the podcast, you can listen to us through the Patreon uh, where you can get just us without us trying to sell stuff. Stuff, kind of. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it feels like we just talked about a federal election. Like, what was the last fucking federal election? Didn't it just happen? Um, I mean, in the in the the like timeline that is minority governments, this is the typical time, you know, for another yeah, election. Fair enough. I think it feels like it was a lot shorter because of this weird pandemic that has warped time in all of our minds. But, I mean, who's surprised that this is happening? I mean, not us. We talked about it for months. that <laughs> There was going to yeah. be an election in the fall. And then we're right again. <laughs> yes. No, it's, it's not at all a surprise. And it's also, like, not the worst idea I mean, uh, okay, it's not the worst idea. I'm happy to have the chance to hear political debate and discussion and evaluate how uh, Canada's leadership did in the last 18 months. I'm afraid. Hmm. Yeah, of course. I mean, I'm open to that. That's I feel like we should be fucking doing that. Like, fuck the liberals. I want that opportunity to say that. Like, I mean, not gratuitously. Absolutely. Happy is just not the emotion I would have chosen, but continue. (laughs) But I just don't feel like that's what we're going to get. No, absolutely not. And um, so Nora and I decided before we started that maybe the best way to talk about the writ dropping today, the day that we are recording this, which is Sunday, that we would talk about all the things that should be top of mind this election, but kind of won't be that we know will not be. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm already disappointed. The parties, the the NDP, uh, the Conservatives, and the Greens are all being like, this is a terrible time for an election. This is like their, their number one top- talking point so far, mm-hmm. like that the, the Liberal government shouldn't be having an election. They shouldn't have called an election. And I'm just like, what a wasted fucking opportunity. Who cares? Like, move on to the next totally. thing. Totally. Leave that rhetoric in the dust. No one gives a shit. 
<laughs> yeah, the, the one party that has been gunning for this is the Bloc. And the Bloc has been consolidating their candidates and doing tours for months now, it feels. And you just get this sense that they're like, fuck yeah, let's fucking do this. Whereas, I mean... The conservatives are very, very confused. And so fair enough. They're literally like, oh, my God, we don't want this right now because we can't we can't win. Um, But, Mm -hmm. you know, the messaging from the NDP is very confusing because it has been and I haven't seen what the green messaging is specifically, though I suspect it's similar to the NDP. Um, It's been Mm -hmm. we need Justin Trudeau to govern. We don't want we don't need him to call an election. We need him to govern. We need him to govern. And it's like, no, you don't. (laughs) You don't you don't need him to govern. You are a fact, political party that wants to take don't him want out. Him to govern? <laughs> yes. Who thought that was a good idea to say that? I don't know. It's so weird. It's like that's and that's what it feels like everyone is saying. But I, bleh. I mean, yeah. I also saw this. Um, you know, the this hilarious video this morning of of uh, the announcement of the writ dropping and Justin Trudeau. <laughs> I, sorry, I think this is so funny. Justin Trudeau saying uh, conservative backbenchers have <laughs> accused us of tyranny. And so how do you respond <laughs> to tyranny with an election? Sorry. <laughs> just like, no, wait, did you just admit to being tyrannical? I'm very confused. <laughs> what the hell? He's that's a hilarious. It's thing very to say. strange. It's very strange. Um, but in any case, I mean, that is the level of politics, friends. Um, that is going on here. So um, let's let's start with some things that were that are not going to be uh, top of mind on the ballot that we're frustrated about. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, one of those things is, uh, you know, we talked about how when uh, the, the the discovery of uh, two hundred some children. Um, those graves were found that people in Canada would eventually just move on from the story, even though they had no business doing that. So it's over 5,000 graves now, Nora, Mm -hmm. over 5,000 unmarked graves that have been, um, that have been found. Uh, it, that is not front page news though. It should be. And, uh, um, uh, colonialism, land back, uh, reconciliation, all of these, these issues I think should be top of mind. And, uh, I have deep, deep skepticism that they will be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And especially because, I mean, the liberals are, are driving the the message. They're obviously the, the party that has the most power, I would say right now, just because, you know, the nature of being in office and then calling a snap election. They, they've also shortened the election period. You know, people were talking like uh, anticipating that September 26th was going to be voting day. And actually, it's now September 20th. Um, and so that's a very short election period that really benefits the person in power, the, the, the people in power. And, you know, knowing mm-hmm. that they have, they're able to control the message so much, they don't have to do anything on reconciliation they really don't have to do a, f- a fucking thing and what um what the, the the worst part of this is like the conservatives obviously we cannot expect the conservatives to do anything positive but the ndp is in a very like fucked up spot considering 
the way that John Horgan and the British Columbia NDP has been relying on police to clear, you know, uh, gas link sites and and logging sites and and, um, in huge energy projects. And it, it means that the NDP federally is going to be walking a very strange line of like, yeah, maybe talking about reconciliation and maybe calling the liberals out on their own record. But I am not holding my breath that we're going to see a a reconciliation plan from the federal NDP that will be profound, as as profound as we need, because they just can't. They're handcuffed by the fact that they have a colonial government in power currently. And and so that's going to be really, um, really difficult. It's going to be, you know, means that it's the, the activists on the ground, as it always is left to the activists on the ground to push certain uh, policies forward and try and get their voices heard. Um, and I think that, you know, the, the real problem with an issue that is so s- profoundly sad is that there's this Canadian guilt that permeates all of the discussions and all you get is like mm-hmm. Carolyn Bennett crying and then all, and then there's just no conversation that you can have or everybody just like yeah. wringing their hands like oh this is just so sad there's nothing we can do and it's like that is that I think that that's the extent of the conversation that we're going to hear related to reconciliation. And, you know, people need to really, if you're interested in this, look at the calls to action, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, and see how many have not been implemented. And think through when you're reading that, how many of these issues are appearing in a, in a platform. And the answer is it's, it's just not enough, like not even close to enough. And then, of course, there's the report um, on missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. And, and that's, you know, just as not are along either. So these are these are like these are issues that are that need to take up a lot of attention and need to take up a lot of space and um and they're just not. I mean today the the quality of the questions from journalists is an indication of how fucked we are for the next fucking 5 weeks, right? Mm-hmm. Like I I saw on Twitter that one journalist asked if Justin Trudeau was going to resign if he won a minority government again. Which is like who cares? Who the fuck cares? <laughs> what the fuck kind of question is that? Why the fuck would he resign? Yeah. Uh, you just became prime minister. Would you be resigning after that? What the f- what the fuck kind of question yeah. is that? You have one question, and that's what you pull out of your fucking brain. Are you kidding yeah. me? With everything that's gone on over the last uh, couple of years, too. I mean, like, let's be real, right? This is uh, a like should be a golden opportunity election. There was just a pandemic where the government largely shit the bed. Like for any of the opposition parties, I mean, it should be this is the time where you can bring about literally more than normal. And I know that we say this each time, but like this is more than your average, the boldest ideas that you've got, because so many people are desperate for bold ideas and big changes. And for the first thing out the gate to be... um, now is not the time for an election. It's just like, it's just a foreshadowing um, the ridiculousness of the conversations that are about to come. How many people have died? Our reporting system has sucked. Um, you know, during this time, uh, what has happened uh, with uh, First Nations and Indigenous communities? Like, what the, f- what the fuck? Okay, another big thing. Oh, man, Nora, I'm so annoyed about this one. Okay. I'm so annoyed. Um, refugees and asylum seekers. 
Yes. It it should be number one. And it looks like actually the liberals do want to talk about that. You know, they've they've put forward that they are going to be accepting 20,000 Afghan refugees, which I think is um, in anticipation, perhaps, or, or trying to in anticipation of conversations that could happen or trying to hide a terrible record on asylum seekers and uh, refugees. Because one, um, this has been uh, in 2020, in January, people might recall, there was a report about um, uh, the Canadian government really ramping up deportations during the pandemic to the tune of over 12,000 people deported last year um, in unsafe conditions. Um, This was the government also that deported thousands of Haitian um, asylum seekers who were leaving the United States after um, uh, Trump uh, changed the rules that were protecting uh, Haitian uh, refugees who had come into the United States uh, during the earthquake in 2010, and then entering Canada not knowing that the Canadian government had also made the very same uh, policy change before Trump did, um, and uh, not only deported thousands of people, but held a very mass detention center uh, in Montreal that affected mostly Haitian refugees. And uh, the other issue on refugees is all of the the people who are being internally displaced because of climate the climate crisis and uh, people all over the world of course who are going to be displaced or who are in the midst of being displaced because of the climate crisis and so do we need a bold strategy on um, on refugees? Um, and asylum seekers. I mean, gosh, you know, there was just another earthquake in Haiti. Absolutely, we fucking do. Um, what is the language that has come out from the Liberal Party? 20,000 Afghan asylum seekers will be accepted. What the fuck? Mm. Yeah, it, it's, it seems like it's playbook 2016 with 25,000 Syrian refugees. It's Absolutely. so cynical. It's so cynical. And 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 what's even the most annoying thing, frustrating, enraging thing about this is they could have accepted and started processing Afghan refugee seekers or immigration, like God forbid, we just open immigration channels up to people. Um, you know, knowing that the United States was pulling out of Afghanistan all, after everything that Canada has done in that country to help destabilize it, the, this could have been going on. There, there has been discussions in the public sphere for months and months about, uh, well, what about the, the the folks in Afghanistan who helped the Canadian troops who were even more at risk of, uh, of, of, of eventual Taliban government? Um, and oh, lo and behold, it is it is here. And. Now it's just being used as a cynical stunt to hide the fact that they increased deportations. And as you say, I think we need to watch very, very closely what happens with Canada's response to Haiti, because the the systemic suppression of Haitian immigration to this country mm-hmm. is so uh, much a part of this conversation. And um, 
you know, the, the, the Canadian government has not said that they're going to grant asylum to, 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 I mean, start with like family members. Fuck. Like there's a whole bunch of ways that you could do this very quickly and simply. Um, they haven't really talked at all about what kind of, if we're going to offer money to help, you know, rescue or rebuilding. I mean, no one's talking about probably reconstruction yet because there's been more than 700 people have been killed at least from this, from this earthquake. It's devastating. And and the connections between Canada and Haiti are so deep. They run, they run right to the foundation of both countries. And uh, in modern times, we, there's just tons of family connections. There's lots of business connections, and there's also connections of Canada interfering and destabilizing the government in Haiti. And so we have a huge responsibility. And as you say, I don't expect we'll see much uh, on that side, but uh, but we'll see probably the the Liberals trying to you know, you play, make, make this into an election issue. And what I would like to see from the NDP in all of this is a coherent proposal that, that, that stops immigration and refugees from being like something that you can turn on and off as a faucet with an election. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like how do you have a multi-year plan for immigration refugee settlement that can't just be like, holy shit, like our poll numbers are tanking. Let's get as many people in the door as we can. Like, it's just like such a ridiculous way. And there's a lot of stories, of course, after 2016 of problems with settling Syrian refugees because it was like the same thing. Like, oh, my God, we have to do this really, really fast. Um, and I think that the NDP really needs to be like providing a, a, a progressive vision for immigration and refugees that actually accounts for the next several years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, that gets us out of this ridiculous political game. Because who does it serve? It only serves racists in the liberals and the conservatives who can just go up and down and up and down and decide and not decide. And then, oh, all of a sudden during a pandemic, they're going to deport more people than they've deported in the entire time that they've been elected. And for the love of God, if you're a journalist, if you're a journalist and you have the opportunity to ask a question about this particular policy uh, to to the Liberal Party, you should be asking that question with all of their record um, built into the question, their record on deportations, their record on Haiti, um, their, their record in Afghanistan. That should be built into the question. We should not let them get away with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have um, an issue that I'd like to mention. Mm. I Actually, I have a might. lot. I thought you might have a few. <laughs> yes, I um, I want to see how the parties are reacting to uh, news about how the wage subsidy was distributed. So the National Observer reported this past week that $1.3 billion was handed over to the oil and gas industry through the wage subsidy. Now that that also, I mean, there, there's been hundreds of millions of dollars given to Bell and Rogers and Air Canada. And, and most of these companies, Air Canada probably not in the past year, but most of these companies made a fuckload of money as well in net profits. And the reason why they're able to draw on the wage subsidy was because the way that it was implemented was that you just had to prove that you lost some income. You had to lose that you lost 30 percent um, of your income. And so if you're like year over year profits and your profit dips, well, then you are eligible for this. And what has made me so enraged is that the NDP, every time I see the NDP intervene in this, they're like, this was not what the program was supposed to do. 
And it's like, you fucking approved the program. And not only did you uh, like support this program, you have consistently supported this program. And we were saying back in April, this was going to happen back in April, 2020. So I would like to see how the NDP navigates this. I'm not going to mention the Greens because I, I don't think the stakes are as high for them to get something like this right. And, um, and then how the conservatives talk about this too. And so here's another tip for journalists. You know, the, the, the message that Aaron O'Toole is really trying to put forward is that the liberals and the NDP and the Greens, and I don't know if they really care much about the bloc, although the, the conservative bloc fight is, I think, actually important in Quebec, but that these other parties are spending parties and we're saving parties. And I have not seen any journalists do enough to say, OK, sorry, what about the COVID relief package would you have not done what would you have cut and try to find out what the, what the conservatives would actually say that because they, because they supported the whole thing. All of this was a massive, 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 massive wealth transfer from the public sector to the private sector. And so um, so journalists try to grill the conservatives on that and see if they'll answer, which they won't. But uh, for everyone else, you know, let's look at how the pandemic financial support programs are going to be talked about. And then going forward, let's keep in mind, disabled Canadians were only given six hundred dollars total in the pandemic. No one who was uh, who had an income of lower than five thousand dollars in 2019 received any money. And what I am so enraged by is that there was this last minute, oh, yeah, we're going to give $200 million to shelters in Canada. And that's a lot con- compared to $40 million that they promised in the first half of the pandemic, and then they in- increased that to, 10, 10, um, to $100 million. And it's like, you folks knew that domestic violence was going to rise. You folks did not mm-hmm. give enough money to this. So you are effectively creating a situation where there's an increase in domestic violence, and then you can cynically give money to that increase that you created just before an election. So then you get a couple of feminist organizations going, well, you know, it's not it's not exactly what, all that we need, but this is a good start. And it's like, fuck that. Yeah, but I mean, Nora, I don't know if you saw today, they are doing some course correction on um, on the, you know, the um, economic uh, uh, programs that they started. During the pandemic, I don't know if you saw this. There's um, there five hundred dollars going to seniors. Oh, the that's the that's the uh, congratulations. You survived our policies, money. Yeah, it's um, and not to be confused with like five hundred dollars a month or anything like that. That would be <laughs> God forbid. No, no, no. It is um, five hundred five zero zero dollars going to seniors <coughs> defined as people over 75 because Ooh, that's also this is an a liberal old scheme <laughs> yeah. this is a this is a liberal scheme okay let's not Sorry, pretend that this shit's gonna be easy <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah real fucking ridiculous <laughs> when i saw that i was like are they fucking serious like this is the level of disrespect uh, that the that the ruling party has for the electorate that they are like, let's just promise some five hundred dollars to to old folks who might be upset about how we endangered everybody's lives and livelihoods in the last couple of years. What five hundred dollars? <laughs> what the fuck is that going to do? Party time! <laughs> oh my god, um, climate crisis. Oh, do we still have that going on? Dude, I mean, I'm sure you saw the report that came out. Was it this week? Earlier this week? Yeah. Um, yeah. Very dire. Um, basically, 
uh, we're fucked, right? Um, and uh, it's like, at this point, it's like, how fucked are you going to be? Like, is the decision that um, the the parties have before them? Like, what how, what level of fuckedness are you going to contribute to with respect to the climate crisis? And I, I did I did a quick perusal of um, of what the the policies are, and for fuck's sake, they're nowhere near good enough. And maybe they're going to be developed over the course of the campaign. But you all knew that this election was coming, so you had time to develop it. And this should be front of mind for everyone. I mean, for fuck's sake, the country is burning. I mean, the the highest temperature recorded. Uh, on this side of the earth uh, was recorded in fucking Canada this year. That doesn't make sense. Uh, We are burning across the country, and now there seems to be a potential fire season that is going to start happening year over year in Ontario even. There are more tornadoes that are happening in Ontario, which doesn't make any sense. Um, You know, Whole cities are being wiped off the map. Our coastal regions are in danger. The ice caps. I mean, it's all bad. It is all catastrophically bad. We're careening towards a future that cannot sustain human life. And um, the liberal parties is like, we need a plan. It's like y'all are the ones who make the plan, you know, and you've been saying this for decades now. (laughs) Could you just release the plan? And they're like, we need a plan that will, you know, have our top polluters pay. And that's what the NDP is saying, too. And to reduce emissions uh, to net zero by 2050. Y'all... 2050. Sorry, what year? When? Like, what the fuck year is that? We're like, hello, we're like fully fucked right now. (laughs) 2050. Whew. I mean, at that point, it's just like, just throw up your hands. (laughs) Just tell us you have given up and you do not care about the children. (laughs) Like, whatever. Oh, it's all bad. Well, remind me how many trees got planted. Like, weren't we supposed to all have two billion p- trees planted in our names or I, something? Pff, I mean, let's let's have some <laughs> journalists ask that question, too. It was never going to solve anything. But that cynical fucking no. f- promise um, was also bullshit. Just like all the other promises. Always bullshit. Bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. And mm-hmm. we can't afford to respond to bullshit with, okay... That sounded nice. We'll elect you again (laughs) and ignore when they don't do anything. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So there's two sides of the climate issue um, that, you know, you should pay attention to. Uh, The one side are the policies that will do what is possible to reduce emissions and to clean things up. Right. So those are the really big um, those are really big issues that uh, take a lot of attention and that, as Sandy, as you just said, is like just not enough. The other side are the mitigation policies. And the mitigation policies uh, are those kinds of policies that allow us to exist through climate chaos. And that seems to me like one of the places that's really obvious and easy for the NDP. And I've seen literally fucking nothing at all. Like the closest you get to is their like perennial promise to like give you a tax rebate to, I don't know, 
hurricane proof your fucking windows or whatever that promises. Um, and so it's like, what, like, how are you going to get um, air, air um, conditioning into spaces that are important? How are you going to create uh, uh, locations that can be cooling locations in cities, towns, regions across the country? What, what's the farming aspect to all of this? How are you mitigating um, crop shortages and weird things? Like, you know, people might not be aware, but there is this massive cricket infestation in a community in Quebec and it's just destroyed everybody's crops. And I saw a picture of a house covered in crickets and I was like, whoa, I am not fucking going there. <laughs> um, and so there's there's like all of these issues um, that are so critical and that are um, obvious and that you can, you, there's a lot, there's a lot that we have to list, like, you know, better fire protection in towns and, and controlled burns and working with indigenous communities to make sure that, you know, knowledge is being used that exists to take care of the coasts, the fucking fires and, you know, these things I need to see from the NDP and I suspect that we will not. Um, And I don't suspect we'll see them from the liberals either, but they're also all very obvious, right? You just have to think like the insurance industry needs X, Y, Z. I expect to see that in the liberal policy then uh, and probably in the conservative policy too. Um, Though I, again, don't think that we're going to see it because I don't think that they want Canadians thinking too hard about how fucked we are. Yeah. Um, Infrastructure. Like everything that you just mentioned just now made me think infrastructure, it should be uh, top of mind as well during this election. Uh, everything from, you know, uh, we lost uh, 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 the Greyhound transit system um, uh, a while back to uh, the types of infrastructure that we're going to need to build because of the climate crisis, including things like we should be making it a right to have access to AC if we're going to have these heat waves that cause all of these mass deaths year to year. If this is going to be a problem, that's something that needs to be um, invested in, not to mention um, the perennial issue of lack of infrastructure in First Nations communities. Like All of that uh, should be top of mind of this in this election as well. And we have an opportunity now because of the pandemic to really rethink how we do certain types uh, of infrastructure and what we invest in. Uh, We could make, um, you know, uh, housing strategies, transit strategies that make these really expensive services and resources that people need to live um, affordable and or user fee free. Um, like those are big issues that we should be talking about right now with so many people having experienced devastation over the last couple of years. Uh, why not use this time to focus on um, ensuring that everyone has access to communication, to focus on making sure that everybody has access to a fucking home? Um, these issues should be top of mind. I also want to see... Uh, folks talk about the RCMP. I mean, over the last little bit, how oh, many yeah. fucking uh, class action lawsuits have there been? And there's just been um, another one recently filed um, by Northern Indigenous people um, against the RCMP. 
Uh, like I, we, we've talked about the issues with uh, sexual violence within the RCMP, sexual violence that people have experienced from the RCMP, the, the way that the RCMP interacts with people who are experiencing mental health crises, and then just the general issues with police, policing, and, uh, and uh, anti-black racism, discrimination, and so on. Uh, what the fuck are are these uh, politicians going to do about the 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 fucking police? Come on, where's that conversation? This is the first election that's being held since the explosion of Black Lives Matter protests last summer. That's right. And so, like, similar to that, are we talking about defunding the police? Are we talking about defunding the RCMP? Is there going to be any adult conversation about sexual assault in the military? And maybe we don't even need a military considering we're witnessing what the fuck our military did and does, I guess, with what's happening in Afghanistan right now. And I want to mention like how many veterans of that war are have been left completely in the in the dust by the Department of National Defense and Veterans Affairs and how a lot of them are left to struggle with really difficult and troubling, traumatic experiences that they experienced in Afghanistan. And I'd like to see, I mean, I don't imagine we'll see it at all, but I'd like to see some very, uh, I don't know, radical probably is like not even the right word. I'd like to see discussions about what these institutions even do and why we even have them. Or if it's time uh, with the RCMP, actually with both, you know, in the, in the, in the spirit of reconciliation, these institutions don't seem compatible with reconciliation. It doesn't seem possible to have a reconciled Canada that still has an RCMP and a Canadian Armed Forces. So I, I, you know, let's watch that. But even beyond that, like, okay, this is like our kind of thinking and our, you know, imagining of what's possible. But foreign affairs in general has really been off of the radar of the last several elections. And I'm thinking 2019, 2015, and probably... Uh, before that, I think 2011, I don't recall there much being a foreign dis- foreign affairs discussion either. And I think that this is where the opposition parties really need to push and they need to have their own idea of what to say when it comes to foreign affairs. Canada is sending arms to Saudi Arabia that is being that are being used in Yemen. We know this. Um, those arms could be stopped tomorrow. And so, you know, where are the parties on this? Where are the parties on Canada's international, quote unquote, commitments? You know, what are we doing in Iraq and Syria? Because we're still engaged there as training officers or whatever. Um, We have active deployment happening in Mali. Again, what are we doing in Mali? Are we is it just training as well? Um, And so there's a lot of questions. And the problem is that the journalists who have their eye on foreign affairs tend to be very embedded with the military. And so on one hand, you, you know, they get they get access to information that they probably otherwise wouldn't. They have contacts with people that are going to maybe even leak information. So like there's a bit of a positive there. But they're all reporting this through the, the lens that the military at its core is just and good. And That's not how it is. And so, you know, we know that the conservatives, if they talk about foreign affairs, it's going to be fucked. And so this is where the NDP has to come really, really come through and say, like, make the connections between failed imperial foreign wars, uh, climate crises, refugee crises, and then what that means both uh, to diaspora communities in Canada and to people who are seeking to live in Canada as a result of all of this. And the NDP has just been so weak on foreign affairs. So my money is on that's not going to really be talked about either. 
Yeah, and then there's um, uh, uh, circling back to uh, the discussion around um, just Canada's carceral um, me- measures that they employ. Like, let's let's talk about prisons and criminalization. You know, during the pandemic, we saw how quickly the government could make the decision to release certain people from prisons. Um, can we expand that? <laughs> can we really have a conversation here about why so many people are being detained um, and uh, incarcerated in this country? Like, uh, again, this is the government that uh, um, that legalized cannabis and did so without releasing all of the people and expunging the records of all of the people who have uh, experienced some sort of criminalization because of the fact that that drug was criminalized. And then again, beyond that, you know, uh, a few years ago, the NDP was uh, uh, was really unapologetic about talking about decriminalizing all drugs. Um, I hope that that, uh, you know, that promise continues. I haven't really heard them talk about it as much since. Um, but that is something that should be discussed right now, especially as, uh, again, people are experiencing really destitute times because of everything that we have all been experiencing collectively in the last couple of years. Yeah. And specifically talking about the opioid crisis and and creating safe drug supply. Like there has been zero leadership from the federal government. This is an absolute fucking crisis. And provinces are obviously slow to act. And the federal government could take leadership. They could they could invoke the Emergencies Act on this issue and, you know, insist that I'm not like I'm not sure what like, you know, they could insist on decriminalizing all drugs or or, or creating safe supply or, or whatever. Um, and there's no leadership there. So, again, that will come um, mostly from uh, the opposition and an issue like this will mostly come from the NDP. Now, two issues that will get talked about, but I want to raise two issues in that fr- about them that will not likely be talked about. One mm-hmm. is long-term care and how long-term mm-hmm. care is discussed. Um, and so I think that we'll see, like, the, the NDP has already started their mental care, mental care, dental care healthcare what are they they've got this thing that rhymes <laughs> right they want it, it all does it, does it really rhyme if they just end in the same compound word well it's dental and mental do is the thing oh fair enough yeah 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 um <laughs> but they don't have the they don't have the handy mole care which was the other rhyme oh, part at God. the end yeah <laughs> So they've talked a little bit about that, and I suspect that they're going to lean really hard into um, into talking about, you know, how do we expand services. But I also know that they're not in favor of, of opening the Canada Health Act, so it'll be interesting to see how they walk that line. But but residential care, long-term care in this country, like, is a disaster, and we know this. And so I'm very curious to see how the discussion unfolds about nationalizing uh, long-term care. And whether or not anyone, my prediction is no one, no one's going to suggest that they put long-term care into the Canada Health Act, but instead create a new separate act. I have opinions on that, but I know that the left is a bit divided on that strategy. Um, But then how much will the conservatives, the liberals and journalists insist that this is against the Constitution? And so people should really pay close attention to that and also pay close attention to how the NDP even talks about it in the first place. Because, you know, nationalizing a a chain like Rivera, which is already owned by the federal government, is something that they should be screaming loud and clear. It would be easy. There's no shareholders. I mean, it's like 
it's pretty straightforward, and that could help be the anchor of a, of a national public system. But um, but to get there requires a lot, and I suspect that um, th- there hasn't been enough internal elaboration on how to get there uh, in the NDP, and we'll instead just kind of hear a, a line about it saying, oh, yeah, we need to nationalize these facilities and not say anything further. The other thing that I want to mention is childcare, and childcare is also going to be a big issue because there's already been these childcare agreements between, um, I think, most provinces at this point, and you know the Liberals are going to be touting this as one of their is their big big promise. If you if you vote against the Liberal Party, you're voting against childcare, and you know it's good news that the Liberals are probably going to get reelected for the childcare file, except. There's still no pressure pushing the liberals to do more. And so this is where the NDP needs to be like, no, no, not $10 day daycare. We want fucking free daycare. And this is how we pay for it. Mm-hmm. And this is how yep. it's imposed. And uh, and then, well, this is how we'll kind of deal with Quebec. And this is what it'll look like. And it's going to be a mix of like small providers and larger providers. And for parents, you're not going to even probably notice the difference. And I'm saying this knowing what our system kind of looks like, right? And um, and there's no there's no reason to not push it from that. If the NDP stays with, yes, we support uh, $10 a day daycare. It's like, why? What the fuck use is that? That's not fucking useful at all. That's telling people to vote for the liberals. Education. Oh, yeah, that. <laughs> Education should be free. And <laughs> there is no better time to argue that than when you're getting shit education because of a pandemic. Like, I just, education should be free. Education should be free. Education should be free. And then, you know, I've, I've also been thinking about how we, uh, you know, forced everyone to, to continue working, forced everyone to continue going to school during the pandemic. Wouldn't it be lovely if we had a discussion this election about how often we work, about how much we work in this country, and whether or not it makes sense to reduce how much we work in a day or in a week? Yes, that would be great. Like that, I think, is something that uh, would be beneficial right now for all sorts of reasons, um, but uh, not least of which is uh, just how people have been impacted uh, by uh, by the pandemic. You know, one of our one of my favorite episodes that we ever did, Nora, is something that we did during the pandemic when we t- talked about. Um, well, two of my favorite episodes that we've done. One is when we talked about how much people are working and we deserve to work less and it shouldn't be a given that we work uh, five days out of a seven-day week and eight hours out of a day full-time, which is not even real anymore for, for most people. Most people are working far more than that. Um, uh, one, like, that shouldn't be a given. And then uh, two is um, how leisure didn't play into the plans of... Uh, governments uh, who were trying to deal with uh, the pandemic. There was no plan for making sure uh, that people had time for themselves, that people had a way to communicate and be with the, with their loved ones and so on. And, you know, we've all been uh, impacted mentally by this state of affairs as well, some far more than others. Uh, but shouldn't it be a part of uh, how we discuss what we do next, how we how we, uh, you know, reopen, um, uh, how we live as a society, um, rethinking our relationship to work, which is right now 
not a very healthy relationship. Like, my God, our relationship for work is commonly cited as the reason why we can't do anything about the climate crisis, for fuck's sake. Like, we we need to, I think, have a bold discussion about that. And I know this election, it's not going to be the one where we do it. But it should, you know, at some point, we really have to talk about that. Well, it'll be annoying when rather than talking about that, we're all talking about the universal basic income, which I'm afraid is going to take up a lot of the discussion that that kind of thinking would otherwise occupy. Um, And so if I were the NDP, I'd be saying, well, you know, let's promise leisure time. Let's make a new holiday. Let's make two new holidays and let's mandate vacation. Like everyone gets this fucking level of vacation. And we also oversee a federal labor code. So making sure that there's sick days that are paid. And I know that they've been they've talked about that a Mm -hmm. little bit. But tying all of this stuff back to the pandemic is so rhetorically critical. And I don't think that that's how it's going to happen. I don't think that that's going to be the way in which we hear about, yeah, we need to, to have more vacation time. People need to have access to more vacation time. And so, I know, we'll see. We'll see. Um, and the liberals will be looking for kind of like little schemey kind of things that, 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 that sound good. And so it's actually one of these kinds of issues. If the liberals come out and say universal basic income, like everyone should be very frightened because they just tried that with CERB. And the problems are like very, very obvious and why universal, their idea of universal is not truly universal. And, you know, also that um, there's a lot of social programs that we need to pay for first before. Um, we're giving people money, uh, which then just goes out the door through rent and transit and food costs. Um, there's a couple of other minor issues. I really want to hear uh, the parties talk about data collection and how um, we don't know how many people have died from COVID. Mm-hmm. Like that, the report that I was a part of that, you know, we, we, we talked about on uh, an episode at the beginning of the summer. No politicians have fucking take that report. The, the NDP has not taken that report. The conservatives have not taken that report to say we have a fucking crisis here. And I want to see that. And I think it's obvious and easy and, and would even be popular to do. And the second one is is how the parties uh, talk about China. I think China is going to play a very big role for the conservatives. They've already came out with anti-Chinese uh, lines, talking points uh, on the day that the writ dropped and how journalists are going to feed that to just hype up uh, animosity towards China um, and how the parties talk about the United States. I'm also very curious because, you know, the states, uh, things are not going well very much there. And, you know, the natural ally kind of conversation, I think, is going to be a little bit influenced by the fact that uh, COVID is raging so much. And um, and so we'll have to see how those how those kinds of the ways in which the parties talk about um, both the United States and China influence um, whatever rhetorical goals they're trying to, to trying to set. And this is where the NDP is critical. They have to really reject the anti-Chinese sentiments and then not just call them like, oh, that's anti-Chinese, but like literally explain it to people and explain not just that it's anti-Chinese, but then explain what the actual truth behind whatever it is, the issue, um, it, whatever, whatever it is they're talking about. I haven't seen the NDP say anything about this, um, the, the, the lab controversy in Winnipeg. And I'm honestly a bit surprised by that. Well, that is a smattering. That has been a smattering oh my folks, God. Of, of ways that this election could be talked about, ways that it will be talked about. We'll hear about childcare. We'll hear about how we shouldn't be in an election. We'll hear about carbon offsets, maybe. And we'll hear about $500 going to seniors. We'll hear about vaccine passports. 
but many of the things that we just raised are not going to be top of mind unless we make them top of mind. So I know that some some groups have already started organizing specifically around climate um, to to ensure that we have some mobilization going around some of these issues. So let's continue that for those of us who are on the ground doing that organizing work. Let's continue that. And for those journalists who listen to us, please make sure that when you're asking questions during the, the beat this time, let's make sure that the records are a part of the question, whether it's the record of the ruling party being asked to all parties to ask how they would be doing things differently, or the record of those other uh, parties and how they have responded to these different issues in the past. We can't be talking about these things as though they're brand new. Um, you know, if we, the, the liberals are polling really well right now, but I mean, they've had a really shit <laughs> governing um, a period. It shouldn't be um, this kind of like handoff uh, to, to the ruling party that everyone expects that it's going to be. It shouldn't be that way for a party that's been embroiled in so many scandals and has screwed up so monumentally. Um, and part of that is going to be on the responsibility of all of us who are paying attention to point out the hypocrisy in, uh, in what's going on uh, between these discussions for election 44. Is this election 44? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I is haven't, that what it is? I don't know. I think so. 44. 44. And, and also don't get too depressed by all of this either. You know, elections are not the most important time in democracy. In fact, they're a distraction to the work that we, we need to be mm -hmm. doing. And of course, I know a lot of folks that listen to this will be engaged in getting people elected. I know that there's candidates that will be listening to us and good luck and good work and keep, you know, our advice hopefully in in your mind and, and raise some issues within your own, uh, within your party. I imagine mostly it's an NDP, although I know we have some liberals that do listen to us. Um, but that remember that this is this is a fucking distraction um, and it's a distraction not in the way that the conservatives and the NDP have been saying, um, but it's a distraction because it makes people think that this is the be all and the end all of democracy, which it absolutely is not. What it does do is it, it acts as an accelerator for a lot of our organizing. And so use this as an accelerator. Mm -hmm capture the excitement of people wanting to get involved now and they see a deadline for getting involved which is the end of September and that's manageable and so bring people along welcome them to the work that you're doing seek people out and let's not pretend that the election is democracy mm -hmm. 